wonderful friends, welcome to Fate FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is a program where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible, and where we look at the world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I am Nick Rita, South Australian Regional Coordinator for Faith FM, and I'm very happy to be with you again today. Thank you for tuning in. If you like to make a comment or have your say today on our uh, program, please send us a text message on zero four double eight double eight zero eight double one. That's the number where you can send us a text and be part of our program. We are going to look into a very interesting uh, topic today. Continuing a little bit more from um, last night, who knows the future. I'm very happy to welcome our co-host today, Pastor David Butcher. David is the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. David, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Nick. Hello, listeners. It's nice to be here, Nick. And uh, yeah, where our country is going through some interesting times at the moment, isn't it? It's right. It's right, David. And uh, uh, just before we even go a little bit into that, uh, David, um, I know many times you've been introduced, you know, uh, as the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. Now, I know that um, carries a lot of responsibilities, but what I would like to really uh, thank you for taking time and come with us and share uh, particularly on these uh, topics which we're approaching for the whole week, uh, very, very important ones, looking into, you know, prophecy and uh, what the Bible has to say about this. Every time I open the Word of God, and particularly looking at pro- prophecy, it amazes me to see how everything fits together, how we serve a God who who, who has given us this incredible plan, and, and we can have confidence in it. So, Nick, I really love um, digging into the Scriptures and, and being on radio and, and sharing with our listeners. That's great. And probably if it wouldn't be for the lockdown uh, in Sydney, maybe you, you wouldn't be up there somewhere? Oh, look, a few weeks ago, yes, I was um, meant to fly to Sydney for a day on a Sunday, and um, essentially this was before the lockdown, and I had my flights booked, I'd checked in late Saturday night about 9 o'clock, and I thought I'd better do a, um, a re a re-entry into South Australia, fill in this form online. Uh, some other states have them, I know. And so 9 o'clock Saturday night, I was flying out 6 a.m. Sunday morning. I fill in this um, cross-border entry to come back into South Australia, which, of course, is where we are. A- and um, within three minutes, I had an email come back, you know, after 9 p.m. on a Saturday night, and it said, um, entry denied, mm. and which meant I had to cancel my flights. And it was less than um, a week later where restrictions began to come in more and more because of, um, uh, you know, what was happening in Sydney and what is happening in Sydney. And Because one of the areas I was going to be in was mascot for some meetings. Right. So, yeah, I guess what it shows us, Nick, is that, um, you know, we can have everything planned out, can't we? Humanly speaking, but... Uh, We don't know the future. But God knows. God knows. And And the providence, you know, can be there for you even, uh, you know, uh, restricting you, you know, uh, uh, for having that pass. And now you see more happening there. Uh, I just watched a little bit of news uh, myself today. And, uh, um, yeah, they have some concerns there. They extended the lockdown. 
in um, in uh, New South Wales and Sydney and yeah some parts. They have. I mean, uh, Sydney and New South Wales has done an incredible job of, um, I guess. Uh, mitigating, controlling, minimising the COVID-19 and, and it really hasn't, you know, they haven't had lockdowns except for some of the Northern Beaches areas before Christmas, but this has really come hard and I guess it's this this other strain mm-hmm. of, of the COVID uh, virus. So, yeah, we're really living in times of uncertainty uh, and that's why I love the scriptures because yeah. it gives us certainty. Yeah, absolutely. Just even before we moving into our study today, uh, uh, David, as you just mentioned, you travel a lot because uh, of the position you are in. Uh, you are connecting with uh, some other parts of uh, Australia with other presidents of the conferences. Now, as a Seventh-day Adventist church, we have how many conferences do we have in Australia? Yeah, so I, I guess the church in Australia is divided up into nine regions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, generally many of them are following state boundaries except for New South Wales uh, and also in Queensland above Rockhampton is a separate region which covers all the way through to the Torres Strait and the Northern Territory. So nine different regions, um, they're administrative regions and um, you know, you know, as many of our listeners may be aware, the Seventh-day Adventist Church operates obviously clearly churches. Mm-hmm. It operates uh, relief aid through what we call ADRA, Adventist Development Relief Agency. Uh, and it's humanitarian arm of the church. But we also operate uh, an education system in Australia, just under 50 schools uh, with about 15,000 students uh, of, uh, you know, all sorts of faith and even no faith uh, mm. students uh, attend our schools as well as aged care. Oh, that's great. And the church uh, is organized uh, worldwide, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, I mean, in uh, Australia, we have uh, those conferences and the, the union and then it's a division. Um, the reason I'm saying this because uh, we speak the same uh, um, language to say so, I mean, in terms of how we understand scripture, you know, and um, there are not many churches worldwide organized like the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Look, that's true, Nick. I think there are many different uh, Christian organizations and denominations that have a worldwide reach, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but but many of them are quite large. In fact, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has, I think it's the largest or second largest Protestant school system worldwide. Uh, you know, we're a fairly small denomination mm-hmm. uh, by world standards, you know, probably 21, 22, 23 million uh, baptized members. We probably have about 30 million people would attend our churches every week, but uh, that's baptized. And we believe in, in believer's baptism, so adult, or doesn't have to be adult, but but old enough to be able to make a, a decision for Jesus Christ. But not Christ. infant baptism, Not, not yes. infant baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not a huge denomination. However, we are rapidly growing compared to many other Christian denominations. But the thing that amazes me, um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is no more special than any other denomination in one aspect, but we are driven by this, uh, what we see as a clear biblical mandate that Jesus is coming again and he's coming soon. And Jesus wants no one to be lost. We believe that Jesus is coming back before the millennium. Mm -hmm. Uh, we believe that conditions in the world are going to get worse and worse, and, and we see that happening, and it has been happening for centuries. Uh, and so we have this message to share, like all Christians, but we have a specific message to share with the world, to call people to repent, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, to turn from their sin and to turn to Jesus, and to get our lives ready to meet him, because he wants no one to perish. And so because of that ethos, that that that, that impetus that, that pushes us, that drives us, that 
God wants no one to be perished. We believe that he died for all humanity and all people can be saved if they choose him. Because of that, that's driven the Seventh-day Adventist church virtually into every corner of the earth. Yes. Yes, you're right. Actually, probably there is maybe one other church which is uh, um, as present as the Seventh-day Adventist Church in, in many parts of the world. And um, I heard about, you know, uh, even you talking uh, sometime that we have an uh, historicist uh, approach. Uh, maybe the, another time we may explain a little bit more of those four uh, uh, aspects of understanding uh, Scripture, and particularly when you talk about prophecy. As we look into Daniel tonight a little bit more, the, the approach of the Bible in the prophetic aspect, I believe, is very important. How do you understand? You know, do you want to just mention yeah, a little absolutely, bit? Absolutely, uh, Nick. Absolutely, we'll touch on we'll touch on the historicist approach. Essentially, um, you know, when you interpret scripture, there is um, you know psalms which are which are often a form of poetry. It's often called the wisdom literature. There is history, the books of the the Bible that talk about the kings and all this sort of thing. But there is also there is narrative, uh, such as the gospels. But then there is also prophecy. And um, one of the things with, with prophecy uh, is, is this concept of interpreting it through a historicist approach. What that means is simply this, that when the prophet, and, and we'll be looking at Daniel, and I know um, last night there was a look at Daniel as well. When we look at the book of Daniel, and it's not just the book of Daniel, but uh, when we look at the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel, uh, you know, lived, you know, in, in the... Late 500, 600 BC, mm-hmm. um, he was given visions and dreams and the ability to interpret them. Those had a relevance not only in his day, but they span, this is the time prophecy, they span from the prophet's day, so Daniel's day, uh, 5th, 6th century BC, all the way through uh, until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so, you are having this history view from previous, from the prophet's day all the way through, uh, and in the case of the, the prophecies of Daniel through to the second coming. So, in other words, prophecy has relevance for us today as well. Relevant in the prophet's day, and we'll see this today play out, but all the way through to the second coming, the return of Jesus. And I think that's very important what you said here, because uh, otherwise uh, you can be uh, out of uh, the real understanding of the prophecy of the Bible if you approach different, uh, you know, uh, you have different approaches, you know, like uh, preterism approach or or even fisherist approach. Um, yeah, absolutely, Nick. And so the preterist approach basically says that, you know, some of these key prophecies had their complete fulfillment in the past and have uh, no relevance for us today. Uh, they had relevance for the author, the, the prophet's day. And the futurist perspective says, look, um, parts of these prophecies or all of these prophecies have relevance for some point in the distant future. So we don't need to focus on it now. Whereas the historicist approach says no, it has uh, relevance in the prophet's day, but relevance all the way through to the return of Jesus Christ. And and so that's what uh, basically the Protestant reformers, you know, uh, Martin Luther, all of these key Protestant reformers, they held essentially to the historicist approach mm-hmm. for interpreting prophecy. And that's the only one that actually makes proper biblical sense. Oh, that's very important because we are going to look today into Daniel as we uh, also last night we look in Daniel chapter 2, but we are continuing and maybe moving a little bit more in, uh, in uh, 
Daniel chapter uh, 7. Now, the question also stands, uh, David, for us. Uh, who knows the future? Well, Nick, I remember um, when I was um, I was a mature age student when I went to a seminary to study theology to become a minister of religion. And I remember where we studied. My, my wife and I, we were living in the region. It was up near Newcastle. And on a Sunday, occasionally, we'd go to these markets uh, in the vicinity of where we were living. And uh, regularly, when we would go to these markets, uh, there was a, um, a, a tarot reader, tarot mm. card reader, a fortune teller. And um, this lady would have a, a you know a sandwich board outside her outside her little booth, advertising you know palm readings and fortune telling, and basically almost every time my wife and I went to the markets and we were walking around and walked past this little booth, there was no one in there, and we mm. might be at this this uh, market for a couple of hours and there was still no one in, the, in at this booth, and so. You know, cynically, I, I sort of said to myself, well, if this particular fortune teller um, uh, could tell the future, she would know that she wouldn't have had much business, and so why come? <laughs> so clearly she didn't know the future. And, and what we know from reality, just where, like we're talking with COVID, essentially it's very hard to plan a week or two in advance because we don't know what limitations, yes. what restrictions will come in. We may guess but we don't know for sure. And essentially, the world is changing rapidly. Technology, you name it. We're, we're now a global village rather than 50 years ago, right. nations were quite separate. But transport and travel and the internet and commerce has made us more interconnected. That means that we're probably impacted far more readily and rapidly by situations around the world than just what happens in our own country. So we can't predict the future. But the incredible thing is we serve a God who who not only predicts the future, but he knows the future. And not only does he know the future, but unlike some people that believe in a God who set things up at some distant point past and then sort of stepped back and, and removed himself from, from the whole process, we believe that we serve a God who not only uh, created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, but a God that is not sitting back doing nothing, but a God that is intimately involved in his creation, mm. that is playing an active part. Not only does he know the future, but he has the future in his control, and he also reveals the future. And that's why uh, it's important to have a people. God will have a people to know uh, the um, prophecies of uh, the time we live in. We like to call this even uh, the present truth. And it's it's very important to understand that God, not only that he's the one who knows the future, but he also wants us to understand and how to be prepared for the events to come. Is that not right? Even Jesus himself, he talked about to the disciples. Um, you may, uh, you know, the, the parable of the, when he said, when you see all these things coming up, you know that the spring. Now the time is near. It's, uh, it's yeah. approaching. Matthew you know? 24. Yeah. That's right. And I think as we are now going to look into Daniel in particular, uh, and learn some of the um, aspects, how impacts our time today. There was not only in Daniel's time, but also influences uh, how we live spiritually today. I mean, we are addressing uh, through this program uh, people who I I suspect they they are interested in the Bible and they have a bit of knowledge of the Bible. But not only, not only, because uh, there may be people who are not interested at all in the Bible, but 
the Bible is relevant. And we are going to look into this, how relevant the Bible is. Absolutely. And so if uh, we have listeners listening and you didn't hear last night's program, you can... Uh, Download the Faith FM app, a Faith FM app, and you can listen to any of the programs across the whole Faith FM network that are broadcast. And you can hear last night's program, the Drive Time program, which was looking at Daniel chapter 2, Nick. Mm-hmm. And uh, many atheists or previous atheists have come to the truth, the knowledge of God, that he is God through Daniel chapter 2. And what we're looking at tonight in Daniel chapter 7 builds on Daniel chapter 2. Right, and uh, thank you for uh, mentioning our app, and you can go to Faith FM Australia and download that free app, and you will be able to listen uh, to many programs uh, on uh, our um, little app. David, let's uh, go into, um, would you like to go in Daniel 7, or you want to start in Daniel 2 a little bit? Let's let's go to Daniel 7, then we'll jump back to Daniel 2. So, Daniel chapter 7, uh, and I want to read the first verse. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. So what we discover here in Daniel chapter 7, first of all, we find out that Daniel receives a dream or visions uh, in the night while he's in bed uh, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Mm -hmm. Now, this is Daniel 7. When you go back to the previous two chapters, Daniel chapter 5 and Daniel chapter 6, well, Daniel chapter 5, you have the fall of Babylon uh, with Belshazzar um, dying, the writing on the wall. But then you have Darius the Mede uh, coming in as king at the end of chapter 5 and the start of chapter 6. That's the Persian Empire, Mm. the Medes and the Persians. So Daniel chapter 7 almost is you might think is out of place because it begins in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So if we were to look chronologically at the book of Daniel, Daniel 7 should be before Daniel 5 because Daniel chapter 5 is the last night of the reign of the king of Babylon, Belshazzar. But here we have the first year. And perhaps one of the reasons why we find Daniel 7 out of a chronological sequence is because the first six chapters of Daniel are narrative. They're stories. Right. Daniel and his friends are captured, taken to Babylon. There's a test over food. Daniel chapter 2, the king has this uh, dream, a uh, vision in the night of this big image made of various metals, which was looked at last night. Daniel chapter 3, there is a story of a faithfulness test over worship. Daniel's three friends are thrown into a fiery furnace, but God comes through and delivers them. Daniel Four, you have the story of the king Nebuchadnezzar that essentially loses his sanity because he is focusing on himself and how wonderful he is. For seven years, mm. he lives like an animal until he gives his heart to God and then his uh, his uh, wisdom and understanding is returned to him. He's converted, basically. Daniel chapter 5, you have the writing on the wall of Fall of Babylon, that story where Belshazzar lifted himself up as king uh, above the God of heaven. Daniel chapter 6, there is a test of worship, only praying to the Persian king. Daniel's thrown into a lion's den because he remains faithful to God. So the first six chapters are narrative, and Daniel 7 is the start of uh, you know the heavy prophecy section of the book of Daniel, even right. though we saw prophecy in Daniel 2. Yes. So, 
I mean, talking about here, yeah, there is a, you mentioned uh, Belshazzar. Yes. I mean, uh, many people even uh, don't believe that he existed. Look, thank you, Nick. That, that is so true. In fact, mockers of the Bible uh, said up until about 1914, they scoffed at Christians that said, hey, Daniel is a book that was written in the 5th or 6th century. They said, no, it's not, because there was no evidence anywhere, no archaeology that showed any evidence for Belshazzar. But interestingly enough, in the late 1880s, um, you know, little uh, clay tablets and carvings and inscriptions were uncovered about Belshazzar. Because prior to that... Um, Nabonidus, historians saw Nabonidus as the last king of mm -hmm. Babylon, followed by the Medes and the Persians. And so they scoffed at the Bible and said it can't be trusted. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 5 can't be trusted. They talk about Belshazzar. He wasn't the last king of Babylon. Yes. Nabonidus was. But these discoveries, archaeological discoveries, uh, and, and finally, um, as I, oh, 1924 it was, basically uh, proved that uh, Belshazzar was Nabonidus's son. Nabonidus was the king, but it was a co-region. Co-region, yes, that's right. Mm. And Nabonidus was um, uh, was ruling from another uh, another uh, city called Tima, and he had left his son Belshazzar in charge of Babylon, and so the two were ruling together. So that proved that only someone who was living in that era, 5th, 6th century, knew that, Nab that, that Belshazzar was the king. It couldn't have been written 150 years before Christ, 180 years before Christ. It had to have been written in the day. Right. 5th, 6th century. So this has brought many scoffers. Uh, it has proven the Bible to be true. Mm, mm. So we discover in uh, Daniel 7 verse 1 that Belshazzar is the king. First year of his reign. And Nick, I'm wondering if, if you've got the scripture there. Um, uh, if you can read Daniel chapter 7, or maybe I'll read this, these two verses. Daniel 7 verses 2 and 3. So first of all, in verse 1, Daniel's had these visions while he's uh, been asleep. He wrote down the dream telling the main facts. But Daniel 7 verses 2 and 3, it says, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Yeah, you, you caught me a little bit uh, on that, but I've got it ready now and uh, I can read the, the next verses. But yeah, all right. What do you get from uh, from this passage? So this is really interesting. So this is a vision he receives and we discover here in verse 2 that there is the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. That's verse 2 of Daniel 7. Mm -hmm. So wind often in prophecy uh, depicts strife. Right, uh, And it's coming from the four corners. So uh, basically around the world, around this area, from every direction, there is strife occurring. And we can prove from Scripture that winds uh, in biblical prophecy often are a symbol for strife. In Jeremiah 49, verses 36 and 37, uh, we read, uh, and Jeremiah was a, a contemporary uh, well, he was a bit earlier than Daniel, but a contemporary yes. of Daniel. And this is what God said in Jeremiah 49, verses 36 and seven, 37. Against Elam I will bring the four winds. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger, says the Lord, and I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. So wind often in, 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 in prophecy is a symbol for strife. Mm. 
So here we have in Daniel 7 verse 2, we have the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. Now, the Great Sea would be a reference to the Mediterranean Sea. It was called the Great Sea. Right. And we need to remember that was, uh, in, in the biblical time, that was the Great Sea. That was the, the big water base, if you like, where the biblical story uh, emanates from. Correct. Yeah, they, I mean, in, you're right. I mean, there was not uh, discovered other, you know, the big uh, oceans, you know, uh, at that time. But, yeah, this was where the history of the Israel uh, and the surrounding uh, countries. The Greeks, the Romans, this is yeah, where it all happened. That's right. So, Nick, I'm wondering um, if you've got your Bible there, if you can read, uh, so we've talked about the four winds and, and stirring up the great sea. If you can read verse uh, 3 uh, for us. Sure. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. And what we'll be able to see here in this chapter is that um, the vision Daniel gets is a pretty scary vision. He's not dreaming of cats and dogs and lambs. Uh, he's dreaming of very ferocious uh, wild beasts. That's his vision. Mm. Uh, and, and we'll actually even see some of it is, um, is not even a literal animal. So these are symbols. Now, he sees these beasts and they're coming up out of where, did you say? They, they come out of the sea? Out of the sea. Yeah. So again, um, we're looking at symbolism here. Uh, when we come across uh, Bible prophecy and, and seas or waters, it often has reference to something special. In Revelation 17 verse 15, again a, a prophetic book, mm. we find out what this symbol for water or seas means. Revelation 17 15 says, and he said unto me, this is uh, Jesus through an angel to John, and he said unto me, the waters which you sawest, where, where the prostitute sits, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Oh, that's very clear, actually, to identify the symbolism of uh, waters. So waters are a symbol in Bible prophecy often of people groups, peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. So the sea represents an area of vast population in mm -hmm. this dream of Daniel, a vast population, a place where people come from broad backgrounds and nationalities. And that shouldn't surprise us because, I don't know about you, Nick, uh, probably not many of us have been to a large sporting event lately, right? That's right. You, we are quite restricted, yes. We've been quite restricted. But it's not unusual. Maybe it's a little bit more unusual today than... 20 years ago, but sometimes people would say, look at that sea of faces. Correct. Now, they're yes. literally not a sea, it's talking about people. Multitudes of people, yes. Exactly. So here in Daniel 7, we have winds of strife, war, we have angst, we have trouble, and uh, we have this great sea, the Mediterranean, but it's also a symbol for people groups, vast population. So we've got four beasts coming up out of a populated region. Mm-hmm. Would you like to read verse 4 for us? And we're going to look at what this first beast is described as. Right. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. Thank you, Nick. Um, before we before we try and decipher this first beast, I want to actually uh, sort of dive back a bit. 
these four beasts, again, they're symbols. Mm-hmm. And in Bible prophecy and predict. Uh, especially in Daniel, we are given in Scripture the answer for this symbol of beasts. What does a beast represent in Bible prophecy? And in Daniel chapter 7, verse 17, and again in verse 23, so the very same chapter, we are told what beasts represent. Verse 17 of Daniel 7 says, Those great beasts which are four are four kings mm-hmm. which arise out of the earth. And verse 23 said, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom. So these beasts represent kings and kingdoms. They represent powers. Yes. I mean, even today, uh, David, um, we are able to identify some of the powers of this world uh, by um, some symbolism. Let uh, Even, for example, Australia. Uh, how will people know about Australia? To be honest, before I even um, dreamed to come to Australia, I didn't know much o- about Australia. But I knew some things which Australia was famous of. I knew that in Australia there are kangaroos, for kangaroos. example. <laughs> and there is a movement in America that's trying to um, ban the importation of kangaroo leather. They use it in soccer boots. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to ban it. And they're saying, look, uh, Australia isn't, even has this kangaroo as their national symbol. Yes. And they're killing it. Yes. But yeah, just, just to mention that, that even today, more than uh, powers are identified to some of these symbols. So God uses symbols, and we use symbols. I mean, New Zealand is 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 known for a particular animal. Yes, a kiwi bird. Yes, and America is known for, I believe, it's the bald eagle. Correct. So, what we do today is not too unlike how God used symbols in biblical history. So these uh, beasts represent political powers, kingdoms. And they're coming up out of a vast populated area. So you did read verse 4 for us. And this first beast, do you want to describe that first beast again, Nick? Right. Uh, it says that uh, was looks like a lion. And he had eagle's wings. Uh, Daniel watched and uh, till its wings were plugged off. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on the two feet like a man. And the man's heart was given to it. So what we find here, Nick, thank you very much. What we find here is a comparison and a tie-in of what occurred in Daniel 2. In Daniel 2, Nick, um, King Nebuchadnezzar had a vision. Mm -hmm. In Daniel 7, we find it's Daniel had a vision. In Daniel 2, Nick, uh, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar, Nick Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had a vision of what? What was the image, uh, what was the vision about? The four kingdoms, you know, which, uh, I mean, it was a big statue. Yes. And that was a head of uh, gold. And there was the the arms, the chest of silver. And then was the uh, bronze. And uh, iron. That's right. And then you had feet mixed with iron and clay. So what you had in Daniel 2 was Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, having a, a prophetic vision by God, which God gave Daniel the ability to interpret. And in that vision, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar saw the flow of world empires from his day right through to the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. That's that's the historicist approach. Mm-hmm. It has relevance in the prophet's day, Daniel's day, King Nebuchadnezzar, all the way through to the return of Jesus Christ. And this is how the reformers, the Protestant reformers, Martin Luther, etc., viewed this prophecy. Yes. So in Daniel 2, the head of gold, the vision, that Nebuchadnezzar had represented which world empire? 
Which one did you say? The head of gold. Which, he- yeah, which oh, yes. I mean, it was the first uh, one, which uh, the king was very happy to hear that it was him, uh, yes, Babylon. He was the head. <laughs> yes. Uh, he wasn't very happy to hear that his kingdom wasn't going to last forever, though, was he? No, but I think, yeah, he was happy when uh, Daniel started to tell him about you are the head of gold. Head of gold uh, and, yeah, he loved it, of course. Uh, but um, I believe caught his attention. It, it did, it did. Uh, what Daniel was sharing, because last night we talked about that uh, the king uh, was very angry with um, with his uh, people because couldn't uh, tell his dream. They couldn't tell the future. The future, but uh, when Daniel said that, but only God can tell the future, um, I think he is very uh, happy to hear Daniel, even though the next thing which De- Daniel told him was not so... Uh, good for him, uh, him understanding that it will come to an end. But that's reality. That's reality. And that's what we need to count on. We may not like to see how things unveils, but we need to stand for the truth. And if we understand the future, then we, we are not here forever, David. We are not here for this, uh, what it is on this earth. Things we are, are here to, an to prepare for the things to come. Absolutely. So in Daniel chapter 2, the head of gold, uh, gold is the most precious of metals, correct? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the grandest, the greatest metal, if you like, the most prestigious. And that was the Babylonian Empire. Because in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel says, but after you, another kingdom will arise, but inferior to yours. And that was represented by silver. So in Daniel 7, we are having a repetition of the same prophecy, but with different symbols. And with additional information added. So God is repeating things. And uh, often if you want to, um, you know, if you're sharing something with your children or someone else and it's really important, you will repeat it. And that shouldn't surprise us because the story of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection is repeated four times. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mm-hmm. told in slightly different ways, different nuances, but uh, God repeats things that are critically important. So Daniel 2, the prophecy is repeated again in Daniel 7, but with different symbols. So just as gold is the most precious of metals, in Daniel uh, 7, we see Babylon represented by a lion, the king of the the animal kingdom. Yes, yes. And not only a lion, but there is reference there to also an eagle, eagle's wings. And that was the representation of Babylon. Even today, if you go uh, in, uh, I mentioned even last night about the um, Pergamon Museum in Germany. Yes. You go to see those great big walls. You'll see the lion still there with wings. Yeah, I don't know if you've been there. I, I've been there and you, you have too? No, I, I was trying last time when I was in Germany to get there but uh, I couldn't just quite reach uh, that one. That is still on my list if uh, things are lifted up. So, so what you said though is true. God used symbols that would have had relevance to that time in which they lived. They all, in fact, you can still find there is a, a large edifice, an archaeological edifice of a lion dating back to the Babylonian era. Mm-hmm. So God uses symbols that had relevance to the people in their day. Correct. Just like we use symbols today that have relevance. So uh, the lion is the king of the animal kingdom and the eagle was the king of the, the bird kingdom mm-hmm. that fly in the air. Both of them are carnivorous. Both of them are, are vicious and or could be vicious animals or beasts, right? Mm. And, and we find that um, uh, finally um, this first beast 
has its uh, wings plucked off, it's lifted up from the earth, it stands like a man and a heart's given to it. And that may have um, some symbolism, a throwback to the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a vicious king. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a terrible king. He was a tyrant, if you like. But as I said earlier, he went crazy for a period of seven years, lost his mind. Yes. Was when he looked up, instead of looking to himself, when he looked up and he saw that the Most High rules, that he was converted, gave his heart to God, repented, and God restored everything. So this may be a picture of... Um, the wings being torn off, of um, standing up like a man and a man's heart being given to it, of uh, the the leader of this nation, um, his repentance, his conversion. And I'm just wondering, David, uh, because when um, he was um, probably told about this, you know, or um, he wouldn't would have known about his uh, history, you know, the future that he will be even uh, cast out, you know, uh, the power will be taken away from him and he will spend those seven years, you know, like a, like like a beast. Yeah, like yeah, a beast. Right. And, and then come to his uh, senses. But you know what? Um, and probably we may be able to touch on that aspect uh, on some of our programs that this king actually, he realized, you know, the truth which Daniel was telling. And he even had a, a book written in uh, in Daniel, a chapter actually, absolutely, chapter. Where, where he speaks about the God of Heaven. Yes. So this book is a powerful book. The story of God is a power. It, it changed Nebuchadnezzar's heart, and it can change us. Nick, I'm wondering if you can read um, verse five. This sure. tells us the second beast. And suddenly, another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side, and had three ribs in its mouth. Between its teeth. And they said, okay, let me Arise see. and eat much flesh. Yes. So, so this, this beast is, is a bear. It's lopsided. It's raised up on one side. Just like you have the head of gold, um, in Daniel 2, corresponding with the, the lion in Daniel 7, representing Babylon. In Daniel 2, you've got silver following, um, the gold. That represents Medo-Persia. It was a, uh, two nations that, that worked together, a coalition. Mm-hmm. Now, um, here it's represented in Daniel 7 by a bear. It's lopsided because in this coalition, the Medes were the oldest of the, the coalition, the oldest power. The Persians were the newest, but they were more powerful. So it's a lopsided coalition. One stronger than the other. One stronger than mm-hmm. the other. And it has three ribs in its mouth. Okay. Now, we, we might say that um, these three ribs represent the three key powers that the Medo-Persians defeated. They were Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. And it's interesting that, um, that here you have um, uh, two powers, Medes and Persians. Daniel 2, you've got the chest and the arms of silver, two arms. Right. Yes. That's very, very much uh, uh, synchronized in... Uh Absolutely. So that's the second power, and the Medes ruled from 539 to 331, the Medes and Persians. They overthrew Babylon, ruled from 539 to 331. Right. Okay, uh, that's that's wonderful. Uh, David, can I just take a break here, and uh, we'll come to see a little bit more, even the other two beasts which we are talking about. Just now, I would like to play a little song about Daniel. We are talking about the book of Daniel. Maybe a little bit different one, but please stay with us. Don't go anywhere. This is Faith FM, Drive Time, big Q&A. 
that song called? It's easy to find out. Download the free Faith FM app for your smartphone or tablet to see our full daily schedule of programs and music. Welcome back. You are listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Nick Rita and our co-host today is uh, Pastor David uh, Butcher. That was a very interesting song, uh, David, uh, about Daniel in Babylon. A little bit uh, different. Maybe it's not my style, but uh, somebody out there may like it. And... Um, I like to give an offer uh, right now, David, before, before we're moving on. And I was thinking of the book, The History of Tomorrow by uh, Julian Archer. This is a wonderful book, you know, to little, little book and can be yours. You just need to send us a text uh, on zero four double eight double eight zero eight double one. Uh, it's free of charge. No obligation. Just uh, request this, please send us a message. And also, uh, if you like to be part of this program, you can send a little text and just uh, tell us how do you understand uh, the future? Uh, who knows the future? We are talking about um, in Daniel 7, the um, four beasts, and we looked at uh, the first beast, beast, the second beast. But now, David, we are uh, moving into the third one. So we've looked at the lion, which represents Babylon. We've looked at the bear, which represents Medo-Persia. Uh, just like in Daniel 2, the gold and the silver represent Babylon and Medo-Persia. We come to the third beast. And Nick, I'm wondering if you can read verse 6 for us of Daniel chapter 7. Right. After this, I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back, four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So we know that the uh, Medo-Persian Empire 
uh, fell and uh, the Greeks ruled. Uh, they were the uh, world uh, dominant power in this region of the world from 331 BC through to 168 BC. Uh, and they overthrew the Medes. It's very interesting here that uh, this particular beast, a symbol for a power, is represented by a leopard, mm-hmm. a fast animal. It uh, has uh, four heads and it has four wings. Wings represent speed often in Bible prophecy. Swifting, quickly. Swiftly, swiftly. Yeah, quickly. So not only do we have a fast animal such as a leopard, but we have a the four wings. We know that Alexander the Great... Uh, essentially conquered the then known world to him at a, in a period of, I think, about eight odd years. Uh, one historian has uh, put it this way. Uh, he has said this about Alexander the Great. Unless, this is uh, S.W. Tarn, a Cambridge historian. He has said, in less than eight years, Alexander marched his army more than 50,000 miles, covering enormous distances over unknown country. Never defeated, Alexander died while still a young man, having conquered all of the world he had seen. We know he died about the age of 32. Mm-hmm. And Julius Caesar uh, was said to, when he was reading about Alexander, was crying and um, his friend said to him, they were surprised to see him crying, uh, and he said, why shouldn't I cry? I've just, don't I have cause to weep when I consider that Alexander at my age had conquered so many nations and I have all this time done nothing that is memorable. So Alexander in a very short period of time, dies about the age of 32, has conquered all of the region of the world that was surrounding him. Now, the prophecy here tells us that um, it had four heads. Uh, we know that when uh, he died, about 20 years after, um, there was internal infighting mm-hmm. and eventually four generals emerged to uh, basically rule various segments of his empire. Right. And those four uh, uh, generals, to, to say so, they were given dominion to certain parts of the empire. Yeah, exactly. Still, still a Greek empire. They were Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy and Seleucus. And in fact, in Daniel 8, 21 and 22 uh, and 23, you read about this. In fact, this beast in Daniel 8, 21 and 22 or 20 and 21 and 22 tells us that this beast is uh, Greece, mm-hmm. the Grecian Empire. Now, uh, it also tells tells us that uh, uh, talks about Alexander's death and four coming up after him. So this is very powerful. But we know that the Greek Empire failed and there was another beast that came up, the fourth beast. So I'm wondering if you can read verse 7. Sure. Verse 7 says, After this I saw in the night, in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, Exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trembling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Wow. So, so this beast is different. It's not, not an animal as, uh, as such that we would know. It's a monster. Mm-hmm. We know that the Greek Empire was defeated at the Battle of Pydna by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire ruled from 168 BC all the way through to 476 BC. Uh, and this is the, the Roman Empire. And they were known for um, their iron. They used it in their weapons. Uh, this beast, Nick, has iron in it, doesn't it? Iron teeth. Yes. And in Daniel chapter 2, 
What do we find representing the empire of Rome? What metal? The legs of iron. The legs of iron. And also the longest period of time, you know, as in the body, you know, the legs are, are uh, the longest, you know, part of the, of the body. Again, here, um, we can, we can see that, um, you know, this power is represented so well through, through the iron. So basically rules for about 600 years. But That's this, what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah the longest period, the, uh, but there's something different about this beast, isn't there? What was it again? Okay. Uh, oh, maybe read verse 8. Verse 8 again. Mm. Uh, right. It says that um, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three, were, uh, three of the first horns were plugged out by the roots. And there, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and the mouth speaking pompous words. Wow, that's a lot uh, into that. It is. So this this fourth beast, a nondescript monster type beast, iron teeth, has ten horns. Just like in Daniel 2, you have a statue with iron legs and then you have feet made of iron and clay with how many toes? Ten toes. Yes. Ten toes, ten horns. Mm-hmm. We know that when the Roman Empire crumbled over a period of time, didn't happen overnight, but period of time, we know that uh, out of that, the Germanic tribes, the barbaric tribes began to take over the Roman Empire and that's where we get the Lombards and the Swabs mm-hmm. and the Heruli and the, the, the Anglo-Saxon, you know, all of these people. We have, you know, Italy, we have Germany, we have all of these uh, European countries forming out of the Roman Empire. They're the toes. Correct. And in Daniel 2, um, after the toes, a rock is cut out and hits this statue in Daniel 2 on the feet and crushes it and forms a mountain that fills the whole earth. Mm -hmm. That represents the return of Jesus, his kingdom, which is never destroyed. But in Daniel 7... You've got this fourth beast, Rome. You've then got ten horns representing the the tribes, which would later become many of those European countries that grew out of the Roman Empire. But there is some new information about this little, little horn power. Right. Now, there'll be another program about this, but we discover that this uh, little horn speaks uh, pompous words. It has a man at its head. It speaks blasphemy. It persecutes God's people. Yeah, we'll dedicate a, a, a whole, whole program, program for just for the little horn because I think this is significant. Also, what I notice here, David, that look in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, uh, pretty much representing the same uh, thing, you know, in the history, um, which means that this is serious. When God repeats, you know, twice the same thing, it's certain. I mean, it's not something just, um, you know, forget about. forget about it. It's something which... You should take notice. It's interesting though here, Nick, in, in Daniel 7, we have a judgment scene in verses 9 and 10. Daniel watches till thrones are put in place. The Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, he's seated. And it says in verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth before him. A thousand thousands ministered in 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Mm. So you have this fourth power, the Roman Empire. There is no world power, single world power after that. But out of the Roman Empire comes this other power which has some religious connotations which we'll look at in another program it persecutes God's people then we come across a judgment Mm. and then interestingly after the judgment 
uh, we find that um, there is something very interesting that happens. In verse 14, after the judgment, it says, Then to him, this is talking about Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. So after this uh, little horn power, after um, a judgment which occurs, we then have uh, deliverance of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. to God's people. They're delivered. Uh, in fact, we have a repetition, just like you said. In Daniel 7, verse 10, you've got the judgment. In Daniel 7, verse 14, you've got the kingdom delivered. But then in Daniel 7, verses 19 to 21, Daniel wants to know about the fourth beast. He wants to know about this little horn power which had the eyes and mouth of a person that speaks pompous words. And then in verse 21, it says there, and Nick, I don't know if you can read verse 21 for us of Daniel 7 and verse 22. Daniel 7, verse 21. And 22. Right. It says, I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancient of the days come. And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So we have the fourth power, Rome. We mm-hmm. then have this little horn power, which we'll look at in another session. We then have it persecuting God's people. We then have judgment. Then we have the saints being delivered and they inherit the kingdom. Yes. This is the return of Jesus. But again, we have this repeated a third time. We won't read it, but in verse 25, 26, and 27, we have this fourth beast with the little horn power in verse 25, persecuting God's people. In verse 26 of Daniel 7, we have a judgment scene. Uh, and then in verse 27, we read, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people uh, shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his and all the dominion shall serve and obey him. So what we have here is the end of human history as we know it. Yeah. When Jesus comes back, he delivers the saints. Uh, there's a judgment that happens before he comes back. The saints are delivered, and God's kingdom will never end. Not like all of these other earthly kingdoms which came to an end, God's kingdom will not come to an end. That's uh, that's amazing, David. And uh, I just want to mention uh, now that we are going to talk uh, for quite a few programs, uh, God's message for today. And uh, understanding uh, some of this uh, symbolism and the prophecies of the Bible. Uh, David, it was so good to have you with us uh, today. Uh, our time is up, uh, unfortunately, goes very quickly. But um, how would you like to just pray to close this program? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that... You know the future, you control the future, and you reveal it to us so we can have confidence in and certainty of your love for us and the truth of the Scriptures. Lord, we want to thank you that your kingdom will never end. We thank you that we can have certainty, just like all those empires came and went, came and fell like you predicted. So too, your kingdom will come, but it will not fall. We thank you that we are living in that period uh, of that little horn power right there in the toes of Daniel 2. We thank you that Jesus is coming back. Judgment will be made in favor of the saints, 
and Jesus will come back and the saints will inherit the kingdom. Lord, bless our listeners. May they trust in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, David. And I'll, we didn't have time to even ma- mention some of the messages coming through, but thank you, Nada, for requesting that wonderful uh, book which we give you, uh, The History of Tomorrow. Again, you can uh, ask uh, for that. Uh, just send a message to zero four double eight double eight zero eight double one, and that book can be yours. Our time is up, unfortunately, but please join us again tomorrow when we are going to look a little bit more into um, the prophecies of the Bible. Uh, why uh, we can trust the Bible's predictions? And uh, until then, may God richly bless you. And have a wonderful uh, evening. God bless. Awake, awake, O captive daughter. Put on your garments of splendor. Free yourself from the chains around your neck. Shake off your dust, clothes yourself in strength arise arise O glorious sun and walk no more in the shadow the Lord your maker has called you by name lift up your head close yourself in strength.